From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Amar Agarwal on fixating IOLs with glue, and Nick Mamalis on TAS. A glued intraoc lens will not have any pseudophacodonesis. When you examine them in the slit lamp examination, they'll have diffuse corneal edema. We call this limbus to limbus edema. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we will listen to Amar Agarwal talking about gluing in three-piece IOLs and Nick Mamalis with an update on TAS. All of the interviews were fantastically interesting to me. I learned a lot from these conversations. I hope that you enjoyed them as much as I did. I'm Josh Young. I'm really happy to have Dr. Agarwal with us today. You, you, You had a great talk on managing challenging FACO cases. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about a, a technique of yours that's really gaining traction in which you externalize the the haptics. This, this is for, um, instead of suturing in a PC lens, you externalize the, the, the haptics, put them in little scleral pockets and, and glue them down. If, if you can kind of walk me through that, I've seen you do it on a video, it looks brilliant. Well, first of all, I think I'd like to thank iWorld for calling me for this interview and Dr. Young to invite me here. Now, let's understand, you said just now to compare it with a sutured intraocular lens. First of all, understand one thing. Take a camera with a lens. Break the lens of the camera. Now, fix it back with sutures and take a video just like what you're seeing me or take a still photograph. What will happen? the camera lens will move differently because with a suture, it's like a hammock. And that is the problem with sutured IOLs. Now take the same simile of the lens with the camera and fix it back with glue. That lens will be stuck to the body of the camera and there will be no movement. In other words, a glued intraoc lens will not have any pseudophacodonesis. That makes the key in the surgery, post-operative results. Now, a very simple way to follow this procedure is, we have created two scleral flaps. The flaps should be exactly 180 degrees apart. That's an important angle, because if the flaps are 120 degrees apart, obviously the lens will be decentered. The second important step is, we make a sclerotomy one millimeter to 1.5 millimeter behind the limbus with a 20 gauge needle. Always have fluid in the eye. Don't use viscoelastics, use fluid because the viscoelastic if you use will go right inside and lie on the retina. For the fluid, you can use a trocar cannula like the retina guys use or an AC maintainer like the anterior chamber people use, the one popularized by Michael Blumenthal from Israel. Next step is you can now make a scleral tunnel or a scleral pocket with a 26 gauge needle. Take a 26 gauge needle, just bend it like that so it becomes like a keratome and you can make those lovely 
tunnels. This concept was started by Gebor Shariat from Germany with his lovely scleral pockets. Now, once you take a lens, take a three-piece foldable IUL. You can use a Bosch and Lom lens, an AMO lens, an Alcon lens, the lens of your choice. But when you load it in the injector, see that the haptic comes out like this. Look at this. The tip of the haptic will be slightly out of the cartridge. This is a lucky seven sign. The small portion of the seven is outside. The long portion of the seven is inside the cartridge. The reason is very simple. When you go in with the forcep, which you can use an epsilon glued IOL forcep, which is 23 gauge, it catches the haptic tip, which is out of the cartridge. Once the haptic has been caught, you have two types of injectors, either a pushing mechanism or a rotating mechanism. If it is pushing mechanism, it is very easy, you can push. And if it is rotating, since both your hands are stuck, ask your nurse or your assistant to rotate the injector. Wait for the IUL to unfold. Don't get scared. You're holding one haptic. The second haptic is outside the eye. This lens cannot go down. Wait for the lens to unfold, then externalize the haptic. Once your first haptic is externalized, you can ask your assistant to hold it. And the second haptic, you flex in, transfer it to the other forceps. So in other words, you need two glued IL forceps using a handshake technique, which has been published in the JCRS March issue of 2013. Once both the haptics are externalized, remember you already have created those tunnels, tuck the haptics inside the tunnels. Remember, the first haptic you tuck, you might tuck it more. The lens will be decentered. In such a case, untuck the haptic and tuck more on the other side so that your lens on table is centered. Finally, Take off the infusion cannula because when you're going to apply the glue, you do not want fluid coming out, but you might create a hypotony. So inject a little air bubble in the anterior chamber, which will prevent any hypotony on table and post-operatively. Apply the glue, seal the flaps. It's like a hot dog. The haptic is now stuck between the scleral flaps. Use the same glue to seal the conjunctiva and the clear corneal incision. When you take off the speculum, check, is the eye soft? If it is not, no problem. But if the eye is a bit hypotonic, just inject a little of BSS through the clear corneal incision. It will go into the anterior chamber, fill up the vitreous cavity, distend it, and you'll have a good solid eye. You can do the same in a multifocal IUL. So you'll have a multifocal glued intraocular lens. If patients are there with aniridia and you have a lot of patients, children who have got aniridia, glaucoma, etc. with aniridia syndrome, we have these aniridia IULs which come with an artificial iris. These lenses can become an aniridia glued intraocular lens. Another condition where you can use this are subluxated IULs. If they are three-piece or a single-piece non-foldable IUL, you don't have to explant the IUL. The same IUL, you just have to externalize after a little bit of anterior vitrectomy and refixate it so that it is less 
traumatic. If you are a corneal surgeon, you can combine this with penetrating keratoplasties, with DMEX, with DSEX, or even if you have a fake kick, Boston keratoprocess, and you don't have an IUL, you can combine it with a intrauc lens. So these are various conditions in which the glued intrauc lens can be done. The key issue is measurement of the white to white. All IULs are generally 13 millimeters. So the white to white, if it is too large, and in some eyes it might be, do a vertical glued IUL because the vertical white to white is generally shorter than the horizontal so that you'll have more haptic externalized. If in a case after externalization you find the amount of haptic externalized is less, don't fret and fume. Create another sclerotomy anterior to the one you had just created. Now, using the handshake technique, push the haptic back into the vitreous, re-externalize it from the fresh anterior sclerotomy, and you will be bang on track. That way, you'll have enough haptic externalized and solves your problem. Those of you who are anterior segment surgeons, you have all of you got good FACO machines, which have got good vitrectomy systems. If you're a posterior segment surgeon, then the posterior vitrectomy machines are anyway fantastic. But if you're an anterior segment surgeon, don't fret. Your FACO machines have got good anterior vitrectomy systems today, and all the companies have that. Roger Seinert, I, I saw recently speak on, on uh, your technique, and, and one of the points that, that, he, that he made is, is that the, the adhesion of the haptics over the, the long term is probably not from the fibrin glue, but is from healing at the, at the, at the level of the, of the sclera. You, you commented um, that there is an acceptable white-to-white -white range. Let's say that I'm using a three-piece lens that um, is haptic-to-haptic -haptic 13 millimeters. How big of a white-to-white -white is too large? I mean, in, in terms of millimeters that I'm going to want to orient it vertically or, or, or just do something else. I always keep 11 millimeter as my bar. So if by chance I do my measurement, and if I have my vertical 11 millimeters, I'm very comfortable. That means if my vertical is 11, my horizontal will be 11.5 to 12. So always keep 11 millimeter is ideal. But in some cases, if the eye, even vertical, sometimes I get a large eye, colobomas eyes are by and large larger eyes, I get a 12 millimeter, in which case I have to come a bit anterior. The disadvantage in this, I might get a captive iris syndrome. Actual answer is today, and not for glued IOL, generally for lenses, when there is a rupture, you need companies making 14 millimeter lenses. That is an actual answer because all sulcus lenses should actually be 14 millimeters. The pity is we don't have these available in the world, and I wish companies would make it. Liliana Werner and, and Nick Mamelis have, have, have made this same point in, in, their, in their paper dealing uh, with lenses that are more appropriate to sulcus placement and, and that the, the distance from haptic to, to haptic makes a big difference. Let, let's shift gears slightly. When you're doing cataract surgery now, what are the incisions that you're generally using and, and how do you construct them? When I do cataract surgery, a simple rule to follow is where the plus is, enter. That means if by chance a patient has got 
plus 3 at 180 degrees. I will make my incision at 180 degrees. If the patient has got plus 3 at 90 and I make my incision at 180, I am going to increase my astigmatism. For that's the first point. So the second point is I will always make a three-plane incision. In other words, my knife goes like this, vertical, horizontal, and vertical. It goes very fast, but it's always a three-plane incision. I always use an air pump, which is gas-forced infusion. The advantage is I have a simple system which pushes air into the bottle. So when air goes into the bottle, the amount of fluid coming in is a lot more, makes the chamber deep. In other words, I'm away from the cornea and I'm away from the capsule. But in such cases, you have to have a good valve. And that's why I'm very clear in the clear corneal valves being very good. You know, I don't think that I've ever heard you talk that I haven't learned two, two or three things. Amar, thank you very, very much. It was a wonderful talk today, and I'm just really grateful to have had you here thank today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm Josh Young. I'm here with Nick Mamelis. We're going to be talking about TAS. Nick, how does TAS typically present? What, what, what do I see clinically in the uh, TAS patient? TAS is an acute, sterile, anterior segment inflammation following cataract surgery. It presents very rapidly after surgery with the usual onset between 12 hours and 48 hours following surgery. When the patients present, they'll often have acute blurred vision, difficulty seeing, and when you examine them in the slit lamp examination, they'll have diffuse corneal edema. We call this limbus to limbus edema. They'll have anterior segment inflammation with fibrin, and also they can have abnormalities of the iris and the trabecular meshwork. How is the, the, the presentation different from an etiology that's not sterile? Well, the important thing is to differentiate TAS from uh, infectious endophthalmitis, and the onset is different. Infectious endophthalmitis will often occur anywhere from five to seven days following cataract surgery. Usually, it's uncommon to have the diffuse corneal edema. They can have focal corneal edema. The difficult part is discerning the anterior segment inflammation and fibrin, which can sometimes be the same in both TAS and infectious endophthalmitis. You looked at common causes of, of of TAS. What are the most common etiologies? Most common etiologies of TAS, when we looked at the cases that we evaluated, are problems with instrument cleaning and sterilization. This includes specifically inadequate cleaning of the handpieces, the IA handpieces, the FACO handpieces, and also use of, of enzymatic detergents, use of, of ultrasound water baths when cleaning the, the ophthalmic instruments between cases or after cases. Nick. Having learned this, what, what are your recommendations, both in terms of preventing TAS and in terms of, of treating it when it does show up? In terms of prevent, preventing TAS, I think the most important thing is, is adequate cleaning and sterilization of ophthalmic instruments. Very thorough, meticulous flushing of any handpieces that you're going to be reusing. Trying to not reuse small bore cannulas, which can help prevent any problems. If you can avoid it, avoid using detergents, avoid using enzymes and ultrasound baths, because these are made to get rid of some bio burden on the instruments. And if you adequately clean the instruments and meticulously take care of them, you don't have bio burden on them, and that can help to prevent that from occurring. Nick, thank you very much for doing this video segment with us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure being here. Amar Agarwal is Secretary of the Intraocular Implant and Refractive Society of India and Joint Managing Director of Dr. Agarwal's Eye Hospital in Chennai, India. Nick Mamalis is Professor of Ophthalmology and Editor of Cataract and Refractive Surgery at the John A. Moran Eye Center 
at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ask questions of Dr. Agarwal, Dr. Mamalis, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.